and then all of a sudden I would open my eyes and someone would be standing there or coming in the front door or walking across the, the lounge room. So it started again. They did scare me because they would be really close to me and looking intently at me and, and often I would shout and and move quickly, you know, like put my hand out to whoever or whatever to get it away from me, you know, because it was, you know, just so unexpected. Welcome to the Spirit Sisters podcast. My name is Karina Machado and I'm the author of Spirit Sisters, Women's True Stories of the Paranormal. In this podcast, I'll revisit the women behind my most unforgettable stories and unearth new tales to chill, intrigue, astound and offer hope. You'll hear first-hand accounts of sacred journeys, spirit encounters, near-death experiences, angels, mysteries, marvels and love more powerful than death. Whatever you believe about the afterlife, I invite you to open your minds and hearts as ordinary people reveal their extraordinary encounters. I acknowledge the Darawal people who are the traditional custodians of the land of Sutherland Shire in Australia, where I live and record Spirit Sisters, and I recognise their continuing connection to lands, waters and community. I pay respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to Elders past, present and emerging. You're listening to Spirit Sisters. I'm your host, Karina Machado. It's lovely to have your company. Today, I have an original voice from my 2009 book, Spirit Sisters. My guest is Rhonda Rice, whose story encompasses various spiritual and paranormal threads. Rhonda has experienced otherworldly encounters since she was a little girl, doing her very best to cope with the tragic loss of her baby sister, Laurel. In the wake of that devastating day, an angelic encounter paved the way for a lifetime of mystical encounters. In her 30s, Rhonda had a near-death experience, and in her 50s, she began to see the visitors, as she calls them, strangers who look absolutely alive, who materialise beside her bed. Today in her 80s, Rhonda continues to have spiritually transformative experiences. At the beginning of our conversation, Rhonda shared a story about being on a cruise just before COVID and having an accident that should have seen her seriously injured or worse. Instead, she felt herself supernaturally lifted in a whoosh, as she described it, to safety onto the bed. Earlier, Rhonda's partner had insisted that she come and see an artwork that was on board the ship. As it happened, the piece depicted a beautiful angel. Later, Rhonda reflected on that as she came through her mishap on board, unscathed. She believes it's the same guardian angel she met as a child. I share that summary about what happened on the cruise because I had some audio issues and couldn't include that segment in the interview. As you're about to hear, angels figure prominently in Rhonda's story, especially when she describes the aftermath of the absolutely unfathomable family tragedy that took baby Laurel's life. I wrote in my book, Love Never Dies, that stories are memorials built of words and hewn with love, not cold stone or marble. And Rhonda's story reminds me of that. Yes, it's a slice of Australian history, a valuable first-hand account of days gone by. But beyond that, 
it ensures that a precious toddler called Laurel will never be forgotten. Here's my conversation with Original Spirit Sisters interviewee, Rhonda Rice. Hello, Rhonda, and welcome to Spirit Sisters. And thank you for having me. Angels figure so, so much in your life and in your story that you shared with me in Spirit Sisters, there's an amazing story of an angel that you saw when you were only nine years old. Some of the people listening might not have read your story in Spirit Sisters and I think it would be wonderful if you're happy to do this to just share some of your story that we told in Spirit Sisters and I thought we could start with your near-death experience when you were 32. Okay. Yeah, so if you can tell us... Yeah, tell us about that. You were 32 years old and going in for a hysterectomy. What happened? I'd uh, had a hysterectomy that evening and I had decided that I didn't really want to have that, that operation. And so I'd been crying for quite a while before I went into surgery and uh, and I always had trouble with sinus problems, you know. And, um, and so even when I went into the surgery I was sniffing and you know, sniffing and going on and anyway um, my nose was blocked and we still went ahead with the surgery but I woke up and I was in recovery and I was suddenly aware that I couldn't breathe because I was so blocked up and I was panicking and I was trying and trying to breathe and then in the end I just couldn't make you know I couldn't and I couldn't open my mouth and I couldn't breathe. And I wanted to get attention from someone, but I couldn't move. And I could hear the nurses talking, but I couldn't, I couldn't make anyone hear me. And then all of a sudden, I thought, I'm not breathing, I'm not breathing. And then all of a sudden, I thought, I'm not breathing. And why was I scared? You know, like this, this is all right. I'm not panicking. I'm not gasping. And then. All of a sudden, I I don't know what happened then because the next thing, uh, I thought myself floating and I thought this I must be dying and I was always scared of gasping for for the last breath and then all of a sudden I heard the girl saying, "Quick, she's not breathing," and I felt them put the tube into my throat and I felt the air going into me. And uh, and then I went out to it, and next thing I was I was awake, and they were rubbing me down and trying to warm me up. And then I went to sleep. Now I didn't know anything else about that until next uh, morning because the nurses, you know, nobody said anything about that I'd had that you know near death experience, even as much as they knew of it. But it wasn't until the next evening when Mum came to visit me and she said, I thought they must have cancelled the surgery. And, you know, I said, why? And she said, because I was sitting there having my tea in the caravan where Mum lived. And she said, next thing I looked up and you were standing at the door. And she said, she said, I said to you, oh, come on, love you. They cancelled your surgery. Come over and have a cup of tea. And she said, I just stayed there at the door. And she said, I was smiling and makes me get a bit teary. <clears throat> and she said, you look so happy. I've never seen you look so peaceful and happy. And she said, I got up to, to come over to you when you just went. And, you know, and I, I said, really? I said, Mum, I've got no memory of that. And she said, well, she said it happened. And she said, what time was your 
surgery. And I said, around about six o'clock, and she said, well, that's that's when I was having my, my cup of tea. And she she said, I thought, how wonderful. Well, you know, like, how, how did this happen? And I said, I had read about me when a person dies, their soul sometimes goes to the person nearest to them. And I did have a very close relationship with mum. And that's the only thing I could put it down to. And I told people and they said, oh, yeah, you know, it's a lack of oxygen. And I said, yeah, but lack of oxygen doesn't account for how did I appear to my mum in a caravan about a couple of hours travelling away and looking like that, you know. Some people said, well, well, and others said, oh, no, yeah, it was your imagination. So that was my near-death experience. And the, the other thing behind that was when I was a young girl, we had a neighbour in the street, an old lady who was dying, and I was, my sister and I walked past her house one day and she called out to us and she said, come and help me. She said, I'm, I'm, I'm dying, I've got the death rattle. And she was gasping and choking and everything. And she said, quit run and get your mum to ring the ambulance. And I thought, oh, God, that's how you die. I don't want to do that. And I was always scared from then on of dying and choking and gasping. And that's why when this happened to me after the surgery, I couldn't believe it because I I didn't think dying was like this, you know, so peaceful. So it all, it all, you know, had had that bearing on mm-hmm. why it was such a, an impossible thing that for me to be dying peacefully and then to go, you know, go and see mum, go and visit mum. It's absolutely beautiful, Rhonda. Especially, uh, I'll never forget, you know, the moment you first told me that story more than a decade ago, and. The, the way that you were smiling really stood yeah. out to your mum. It was a radiant smile that she saw that she hadn't ever, I don't think from what you said, she'd never seen you look like that before. You know, That's it was, exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. How amazing that she saw you. And, yes, there's a definite precedent for stories like that as well. I've heard about them. They're known as crisis apparitions where um, the spirit, exactly as you said, the spirit at the at the final moments, we'll go and visit a loved one and just appear to them. There are many, many wonderful stories that uh, correlate with yours. So it's yeah. it's so beautiful. Well, yeah, it was a wonderful thing, and and it, since then it made me not be afraid of dying because up till then I always had that fear of after seeing that poor woman of my last minutes. I thought would be terrible. And you, you had, as you said too, Rhonda, you and your mum shared a really beautiful, profound bond and it was a yes, spiritual yes. bond as well. Tell us a little bit about your mum. And um, I remember you told me her name was Winifred. Yes, Winifred. And, um, oh, mum, she, in, in her last years, she came and lived with me and I was her carer and we bonded a lot then. Before that, it was just, it was more, I was, I fretted for her, you know, I fretted for her if ever, if ever she wasn't with me. 
the the thing was my uh, I overheard the family doctor telling mum one time. He said you should try and not be so close with Rhonda because she's she's such a uh, an impressive and such a, a different kind of child. He said if anything happened to you, she would literally fret herself to death. And I heard that, and I was really scared. And I tried to not always be with mum, always as a child, always sitting on her lap, always standing near her with her arm around me. So we had that, that, and I was the daughter she always wanted as well. But then I was a sickly child because after, after little baby Laurel that I told you about, after she died in that terrible accident, uh, and then I had the um, I had the breakdown, you know, mm-hmm. my mental breakdown, and that was made it worse for me because I couldn't be with mum all the time because I had to be in bed, and so as as time went on, uh, yeah, we we still we bonded, but it more it got to a a high point I think when she came to live with me. Because uh, you know, because I'd often go in and and uh, sit and talk to her, and then she said to me, she said, "Well, just remember, if when I do go, I want I want you to know that this has been some of the best part of my life, you know, being here." And um, because I thought she's, you know, just in a, a bedroom, and and I couldn't be in there all the time. I used to think it was a a bit lonely, and she said, "No, this is." She said, oh, I'm so happy being here and I want you to remember that. She was, um, yeah, I know everyone's mum is special to them, but she um, she was. She coped with the, the death of my little Laurel and I don't know, I don't know how she came through that. Let's tell, let's tell the audience about that story, which is, as you say, you know, you and your mum lived through this together, you experienced this tragedy together. Baby Laurel, who was two years old, tell us, yeah, please, what ha- what happened to 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 Baby Laurel? It was in the the war years when um, you couldn't use gas for your cooking, so we had to use like a little camping stove that you use uh, methylated spirits to light it. So we were all in the in the kitchen, you know, having getting ready for lunch and. Um, Baby Laurel was sitting in the, the wooden high chair near, you know, near the stove and mum went to light the, the little camp oven and when she lit it, the the, uh, the flame jumped up and went like poof and she got scared and she flung her, her hand back and the metho splashed onto Baby Laurel and the flame followed it and it just engulfed her and she started burning and mum tried to get her out of the high chair and she couldn't open it and oh, it was terrible. And we, um, my brother, Ken, who was a couple of years older than me, he grabbed some uh, dish of water from the sink and threw it over them and it put the fire out. And and then she, I can remember her saying to him, Rub it, run and get a shawl for me. And so... She put Laurel in the shawl and then she ran out. And oh, the thing is, I don't know what the my brother and sister did then, but I ran and I followed Mum, holding onto 
holding on to mum's dress, you know, like running up the street because there was a, a private hospital a couple of blocks away and mum was running there because we had no phone to, to ring the ambulance and mum was running to the hospital. And when we got there, they said, we can't take it because we're a private hospital. And they rang, they rang the ambulance then and... and um, and they took mum and baby Laurel away and someone, I don't know who it was, you know, had to drag me to get me away from mum, you know, and drag me back home. And and it was absolutely terrible. The kitchen was all burnt, you know, and Nana, who lived with us, poor Nana, was she was a terrible mess as well. And, and then Dad, Dad came home for work and... and um, and then after that, oh, I don't remember a little bit there. Next thing, it was the funeral. Uh, yeah, so she died, I think, um, one or two days after. And that was a couple of days before Christmas. And that was my ninth birthday or on uh, Boxing Day. So after that, it, everything changed, you know. And probably within a few months, I... Um, you know, sort of had this post-traumatic stress that ended up being that in those days they didn't know how to treat it, but I just, my my whole body started jerking. It was like Tourette's uh, and it was, oh, it was terrible. And it was, I was making all these grunting and all these funny noises. I was absolutely, completely broken. So I was put into hospital for in the children's hospital for complete rest that I fretted so much um, that they brought me home and, you know, and so I just had to start trying to to, to get better and I think it was probably six or seven months I was in bed. Yeah, and so it was traumatic because at the same time my brother began having epileptic fits and I was very close to him and in the end, the doctor decided that I couldn't be, they would have to try and take me away somewhere down to the country or something because I couldn't be there with the rest of the family because every time he had a fit, I used to get, you know, really upset. So we went down to Aladulla for about six months. Mum, you know, mum and Jan um, went with me and Dad and Nana and, and my brother stayed at home. And before I had that breakdown, that's when I had that vision of my angel. Yes, and I'd love you to share this story. It's it's a beautiful story. It's so full of hope, isn't it? Would you mind sharing the story of, of what happened when you saw your angel when you were nine years old in the months after uh, Laurel, who was two, passed away? Yeah, no, I, no, I love talking about it. Yeah, I chat my sister Jan and I, we slept in the same room and um, this one night I got up to go to the toilet, I think it was, and uh, as I stood up and looked, I could see, saw someone standing at the head of my bed and and I, you know, sort of got a bit of a start and, but then I saw, I knew straight away it was my angel and she was standing there, no, no wings, but just dressed like you see in the pictures of angels, you know, in the, the long dress and the and she had her arms outstretched 
but in like an encircling look and she had her head a little bit to one side, you know, and she had the most wonderful smile and, and I thought, that's my angel. She was all, because it was very dark, it was about midnight, but I realised then that she she had a light all around her, you know. I was so excited and I wanted to touch her and I moved forward to put my hand out and I noticed that she wasn't standing on the floor, she was above the floor and she was. She just glided as soon as I went to touch her. She just smiled at me a bit more, and then moved back. And then I thought, no, okay, she's playing. So I thought I'll get her this time, and I moved back again, and she moved a bit more. And I sat down on the bed, and I thought, maybe I'm scaring her. I'll sit down here for a minute. But then I thought, no, I can't help it. I want to hug her, you know. And as I went forward a bit quickly. She just moved away again, smiling, and went behind. We had heavy curtains, like velvety curtains. And oh, then I thought, she really now is playing hiding. So mm-hmm. I lifted the curtain out and she was gone. And so I sat there, I don't know, it must be probably an hour, thinking she will come back in a minute. I don't know where she is, but she's around. So no, but she didn't come back. And, and I was so excited, I couldn't sleep. And, in the morning, I told Mum and Dad. Mum was a more spiritual person, but uh, Dad wasn't. But he said, well, "I believe you. Yeah, I believe you. If you saw that, and Mum, Mum did too. And, and it, when I went to school that day, I was still so excited. And I told my schoolmates, and they took me to the head sister, and I told her, and she said, "I think it might have been your." baby sister came back to visit you and I said, oh no, this, you know, this was a, an angel. She looked and acted like an angel. And she said, well, all I can say is something very special happened to you. I think she was the only adult, but apart from mum and dad, that uh, thought that it had really happened. Every other adult said, oh yeah, nice. that was nice, wasn't it? But later, as a a scripture teacher, I would tell children in my class and they believe me. And I said to them, well, that's the thing, you know, children can believe. And I said, if that happened to me now, if I saw my angel like that, I probably would be scared because as a child, you're more open to, to things like that. Later, I thought then that my angel appeared to me then because um, within like six months of the accident, that's when I got sick and I was so alone and so lonely because I just had to be in bed the whole time and I thought that it, I think that was, my angel was allowed to show us off so that I would know that I'm never alone and that was that was very comforting, you know, all of that time. That's wonderful. I love this story so much and there are so many aspects of it that really make it the enchanting encounter that it is. One of them is that, as you say, Rhonda, you had gone through the most unimaginable trauma. The way you've described it, I was just picturing it, and your beautiful little sister, you endured that as, oh, my gosh, it's just unfathomable. And you hadn't, as a result of that, 
you were di- diagnosed with at the time that we last spoke, Rhonda, you told me it was St. Vetus's dance, a condition. Yes, it, it was. Yeah, not un- as you said, not unlike Tourette's. You so you were you were very sick, you were lonely, you hadn't played. Like it seems to me that after this, of course, with this post-traumatic stress and everything that's happened, every spark of of your childhood had gone out, you know, all the joy. But then in this moment, this angel appears. She's playing hide and seek with you and you're suddenly excited again and you're playing yeah. and you're joyful and it's just such a beautiful gift, isn't it, that you received from the spirit world? I think so. And I was a very spiritual child too because we were Catholics. So I'd made my first communion and often I would walk to um, school and church. The church were in the same ground and I would often walk all the way up to go to Mass in the morning and come back home and then have to walk up to school. And I was a really deeply religious child. I used to have religious dreams even, you know, without being at the crucifixion and Jesus would take one hand off the cross and he would put it down and rest it on my head, you know, things like that. I only read something recently about children praying, you know, and because God hears a child's prayer because they're, they're praying from their heart. And I thought I that's how I always was. And, and I thought that if anything like you, any, if anyone was going to see their angel, I thought I was probably the one because I, that was my background, my spiritual background was angels and, you know, and, and religious things. Yeah, you had a real connection to to mm. the divine from, from yeah. very little. And it sounds like you actually really relied on it for comfort and for support. You had this bond that you, yeah, well, you that, nurtured, that, yeah. Yep, that's, that's quite true. And, and, you know, my sister sleeping there in the bed beside me was... Totally unaware. I told her, and she said, and she was three years younger than me, and she said, oh, an angel. And I said, yeah, it was my angel, yeah. And she said, well, what about mine? And I said, no, this was this was just my angel. I said, I don't know what, I don't know. I said, she just was there, and she, I think she wanted me to know with her arms, like how she had them, and, and smiling. And, you know, I would have thought, well, why would the angel look so friendly and smiling happily, you know? Like, it's overwhelming, to be honest. As, you know, I think about it often. I bet you do. And Rhonda, so you went on to grow up, to marry. You had six children. At the time of your hysterectomy, your near-death experience, you were a mother of six. And, and then you went on to tell me about some other really profound but troubling experiences. When you told me about seeing these visitors, you told me about seeing the visitors. You called them my, <laughs> my visitors. <laughs> now, please share. These are fascinating stories, and I know the audience is going to really enjoy you telling us about your visitors. Tell us, please, about who you saw, who you used to see, and whether you still see them. Uh, I haven't seen them for a while, but when I was trying to think how long ago I started seeing them, but I, I can't just I can't just put a time to it. <clears throat> but it's been over some years. 
actually one of the doctors uh, I told about it, said I was probably the one of the tablets that you're on, and I thought, well, I don't think so, but they tried to explain it away. But it was just that I would be, you know, usually in bed and I probably had been asleep, and then I just opened my eyes up and I would see someone standing there or, or well, the, the nice one was uh, seeing a, it looked like a mother and daughter uh, in the really old-fashioned clothes. They were just talking to each other. They just walked across the, you know, the end of my bed, not on the bed, but at the end of it. They just walked across there, and I wasn't scared. I thought, what was that? And once, I think I astral travelled, and that was really weird, really, really, because I had read about that, and uh, and I thought, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, but it, it did happen to me one time because I can remember going, I could hear people in a meeting room somewhere, and I can remember I went through the wall and, you know, and things like that, and I thought, gee, there you go, bonkers, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but then the the trouble was that the visitors would scare me because, you know, it would just happen. And like one time I looked and there were two people lying in the bed beside me and I thought, now this is going too far. That scared the daylights out of me. And, and one time I saw three together that they were sort of one by one uh, came from the hall into my bedroom. And that really scared me because I thought well, they didn't, you know, they just looked really ghostly, white and mm. not horrible, but just scary. And um, because I remember Jeff, my partner, said you should start writing the writing them down. And I re- did write that one down because uh, that stood in out in my mind. It was scary. I think the thing is they weren't doing anything scary. It was just the fact that I'm. All of a sudden, they're there, you know, and mm. uh, especially once I was on my own after my husband died, it was scary because, you know, somebody's just standing near you looking at you, or sometimes it might be an old lady who was there. And one time, it was a little girl uh, handed me a little bunch of flowers, and, uh, you know, just uh, just strange things. and. And the family know about them because I've always told the kids and they think it's really neat but scary. And they said, Mum, we don't want that to happen to us. And I said, well, I don't think it will. I don't know. I said, I must be just more open to um, to things like that. Uh, so, Rhonda, so if I could just uh, go back a little bit and so that we can just tell the audience a little bit more about what they looked like. So I remember you telling me they were Absolutely solid. Oh, yeah, solid as anything. Yeah, and that was a scary thing because if they would have looked like you could see through them, um, that would be different. You'd think, well, I must have imagined that, but they were rock solid and just really ordinary as mm-hmm. though they should be there, you know, and which is, which is funny. And I didn't – well – I was going to say, I didn't ever see them outside the, the room, but bedroom. But in later years, now that I've had to be uh, doing, you know, not not necessarily having a nap, but just relaxing and meditating, I often would nod off 
and then all of a sudden I would open my eyes and someone would be standing there, you know, or coming in the front door or, um, you know, walking across the, the lounge room. So it started again, but it does seem to happen when I've been asleep, but yet I'm wide awake when it happens. And uh, I'd love to just go back to the, the one, the experience that you describe as pleasant because it's so evocative. The mother and the daughter dressed in the old-fashioned clothes, happily yeah. chatting together, strolling across. Tell us what you remember about what they were wearing, what they looked like, and your sense of what they might have been doing. Well, they looked as though they were out, out for a walk somewhere, but they had their their bonnets and their um, you know their long dresses and their clothes. I think they were carrying little baskets, little shopping baskets. But yeah, but the thing is that they just strolled across the the, the bedroom and and then they were just gone. And and I think that's the one of the few times when I didn't get scared. Yeah, because it just seemed so natural. Do you think you the were peering others. into a past life or oh, or yeah. in, into the past or a past yeah. of yours? What do you think? I don't know, but they they certainly looked as though they were meant to be there. Yeah, some of the others some of the others did as well. You described the little girl handing you a bunch of flowers, you described others looking at you, but this particular mother and daughter pair they didn't interact with you, did they? That's that's right. They just were talking to each other and they just pleasantly walked on to wherever they were going. And, and I think that's why it wasn't scary. The others, they did scare me because they would be really close to me and looking intently at me and, you know, and often I would shout and, and move quickly, you know, like put my hand out to whoever or whatever to get it away from me, you know, because it was, you know, just so unexpected. Sometimes they, you know, yeah, I don't know, it was, um, I, I was glad when it didn't happen so often. And sometimes it might, it might happen two or three times in the one night. And, you know, and sometimes I would see things like oftentimes I thought there was a spider on my bed, you know. And that really freaked me out because I've got a thing about spiders and that that almost fell into the same category as my visitors because these were things that would just be there. And one time I saw a ladder in the room and it was just a ladder, not going anywhere, but just there. And I thought, that scared me because I thought, what's that? It shouldn't be there. And I think that was the my whole experience with my visitors was that they shouldn't be there and and that's what scared me and it was unexpected. It's like a collision of dimensions. Like for some reason you're able to see into these other realms, these other dimensions, and it's just like a grab bag of experiences, a grab bag of dimensions. You know, you're peering here, you're peering there, you're seeing inanimate objects, I remember you told me once you saw a farmer as well dressed in his overalls. Do you remember that one? Saw who? A farmer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, in his, his overalls and things. And that's what I mean. Some of them just looked as though they were doing whatever they normally did, but just not in my bedroom, thanks. Yeah. Know? Yeah, so I think 
when it's happened now, it's a bit scary, a bit more scary because those were always at night, but now it, it happens in the daytime as well. You know, I don't know. I suppose it's um, it's a bit harder now for me to cope with them. I just think I wish they would just stay away. When when did you see the little girl and what did she look like? Oh, that was that was yonks ago. She was just a pretty little girl, you know. I think she was wearing a yellow dress and she was standing beside the bed and she just smiled at me and gave me these flowers. And and I wasn't scared, but I, I just I jumped. I thought, what's happening? And there she was. You know how I said about the astral travelling? Yes. Well, one time, one of my um, daughters won a weekend in, I think it was in, in Canberra, and I gave it to um, to Jeff and me. And so we went and stayed at this place where they had the booking, and I said, I don't believe this because this building, I'm used to buildings being all square, but this one seemed to be curved because as we walked down this uh, passageway, I said, this is, I'm sure this is where I came to one night when I was asleep. And I went to this place and and it stuck in my mind because it was all curved, you know. So it's like and, you travel to the future in your astral travel. Yeah. And I, I said, I can't believe it. And then also, I used to have weird dreams, futuristic dreams, and I dreamt I was at a lot of my dreams. I was running for trains, and I would miss them and things like that. But this particular time, I took more notice of the uh, the actual building. You know, it was a old-fashioned railway building. And some years after that, I saw a photo in the paper of a new building. You know, they were making. You know, it was renovating but it was going to be uh, I can't even think where it was but anyway I said to Jeff that is exactly where I was in my dream because it was so different from normal railway stations this one that is absolutely weird because it wasn't even I saw that photo a couple of years after I had my experience in that dream it does seem like yes you're able to cross dimensions of time in, mm. in these experiences, you sort of you know travel to and fro. It's it's quite wonderful. And Rhonda, I remember you also told me about an experience you had seeing your uh, late husband. Oh yes, yes, yeah. He, After uh, surgery, I think you'd had some surgery, and then there he was. Yeah, yeah he um, yeah because after I had my um, knee replacements done. Yeah, one time he was he was there. He was standing at the end of the bed, just smiling. But the other times I do remember more was that um, I would see him at, uh, after he died. I would be in the kitchen and I would look around and he would be sitting in his favourite chair, you know, and and I would go rushing in and then I thought that can't be because he's not here anymore. But I did. I did see him a couple of different times like that, and and also I think it was after my brother died, and I was we were really really close. A couple of times I actually felt his presence. I felt like 
a hand on my shoulder when I was trying to relax, things like that, and I would know who it was. So, I mean, it's what the kids call it my spooky, <laughs> mum's spookiness, you know. Mum's spookiness. Yeah. I, I remember, Rhonda, you said to me about your spookiness all those years ago, you said, I don't think it's a gift, I think it's a burden. Do you still feel that way? Well, yeah, that's a good question because I've always thought it was a burden, but there are parts of it of it that are, that are a gift. If you had to sort of take a chart and do a chart on, on the best and worst of them, I, I would have to say that I'm a bit more accepting now because I don't get so scared especially when those things happen in the daytime. I'm not so scared. So it's it's getting <laughs> it's getting better. But I tell you, I've got the the other experience. This one was only last year <clears throat> when my daughter and granddaughter came. They were going to live here with me, but it didn't work out. <clears throat> but while they were here I was I was in a lot of pain and I couldn't sleep and so I'd oftentimes sleep in the recliner chair. And this particular night, I got up in the dark and um, I went to put my little torch on. But as I, as I stood up and turned a bit, I lost my balance and fell faced out on the floor. But the thing is that as I fell, I fell on a, a glass table uh, or part of the glass table and I could hear... The glass breaking, and, and and when I fell, and I could feel I had blood on on my face, you know, and I I pressed my alarm. I've got the alarm that I wear, and I pressed it uh, for my daughter to to come out and help me. And I said, "There's blood, so and broken glass, so watch out." And when they came out, they couldn't get me up. They had to ring for the ambulance, you know, but. Yes, I did have some blood on my face, but it was my nose. No glass broken whatsoever. And I said, but I heard it. And they said, well, it's not there, Mum. And I thought, no, this this is weird. This is this is strange again. And I I couldn't work out how that could happen. And I thought, was my angel busy again? But this time was I seeing what would have happened if she didn't if she didn't stop me. Well, I did fall on it. So I think the kids said, Mum, with an angelic intervention like this, in that instant that I fell, she could have done something. She could have reconstructed the glass, you know, like in an instant, put it back before I fell. It's hard to explain, but I, I think you know what I mean. I do. The laws of physics in our world, they just seem to dissolve in those moments and anything mm. seems to be possible. So I do understand what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, it is hard to explain because I thought, and I, even today, I, I pushed anything like because I still sit in that chair and I thought, look, there's nothing there. I could definitely hear glass because I thought this was going to be bad, you know. Do you have a sense, Rhonda, that you're being 
looked after, that you're being, well, saved for want of a better word, for a purpose, that there's some reason, that it's not your time for a particular reason? Yeah, I, I think so. And I'd, I've never known why because I thought, well, why me? And those those things with the the one on the ship and then this one, they're totally different types of things, but but still the same the same reasoning behind it. I was being protected because if I had fallen on that glass on my face, you know, it could have been pretty bad. And what's fascinating about that first experience on the ship is that remember you said you were your partner Jeff said, Oh, come upstairs and see this. He wanted you to see this hey. artwork, which oh. you described it as two wings, which, you know, wings, angels. I'm just thinking it was almost like a little, a little hint of what was to come. I know. And, and that's why I thought it's almost like telling you the end of the story first. That it didn't mean anything to me then because I was, I felt so crook when I saw the wings and I thought, oh, you know, yeah, all right. But then afterwards I said to Jeff, gee, you remember what you took me up on the top deck to see? And he said, yeah, the angel wings. And I said, well, is there a message in that for us, you know? And I said, I'm always aware of, of my angel's presence, you know, but I have never felt it. And this was, I still, when I think about it, I still can't, believe it because I can't explain it, you know. I but I keep trying to think, did I feel did I hear that whooshy sound or did I I experienced it somehow? And that's the I suppose, because if a if a big person just get lifted up and plopped down, you'd think you'd have some experience of, of feeling it, but well, obviously not. And I'll I suppose I'll be Wondering about that while ever I'm alive, you know, because it was such a an outstanding thing to happen. I just want to remind you of something that you said to me while we were talking before about the purpose, and you said you don't know why it's happened to you that you've been protected. But I remember mm. something you said to me all those years ago. You said, maybe the fact that I can share my tale is part of the reason it happened to me. And it strikes me that it's so important to share our stories. How do you reflect on on that? On Perhaps, Rhonda, I put it to you that you've been protected so that you can continue to share your story, either with your scripture students or with us today. Well, that's true because that's what my kids have said to me. One of my uh, sons in particular, he um, he uh, he entered the, the priesthood. He was going to be a priest. He's always been very spiritual, you know. We had a, a close bond, and and he said, "Mum, there's you know there's a reason for those things happening, and and yeah, if if they didn't happen, well, you couldn't." You couldn't share people to share it, or you wouldn't have that experience to share. And and maybe by sharing, um, has done something to someone who heard it and who might have thought, "Gee, I wouldn't have ever believed that could happen." And you know, and it might have influenced people. And so, yeah, I, I do think that. Uh, I suppose I tend to forget about it, and I think, "Oh, it's just me," you know, like ordinary me and um but then I think that seeing my angel it's 
that was such a life changer, you know, because I I have written about it and I've written a poem about it and written the account of it and everything. And I still think I, I've got a feeling that I will see her again, possibly, you know, in my last moments. And I said to the kids, if you, when I die, if I'm smiling, you can think, okay, mum's smiling because her angel's there. And I said, because I feel that that's, you know, that's what will happen. Yeah. That will, so, be, that will be beautiful. And did, how has seeing that angel helped you, especially back when you were a little girl, deal with the grief of Laurel's passing? Well, yeah, that that's true because it did. It, I don't know, it just it changed everything because it, it just reinforced my spirituality, I think. and. And it was always such an important thing to me, even before then. And I suppose, I suppose because I know, like some people, if they have a terrible thing happen to them, like I did, it could you could go the other way. When in fact, my yeah, well, that's right. Thinking that because my brother, he after the accident, he he became very bitter. And he used to hate God because God let that happen or God made that happen. And so there's the two of us. I became more spiritual and it pushed him totally the other way. He used to, because I had rosary beads and holy pictures here and there, he would get the rosary beads and break them. And he, there was one holy picture, he would throw knives at it, you know, in his anger. And nice. I... I could understand that, but uh, luckily I I didn't I didn't turn bitter. I I turned more spiritual. But you can see, you know, and even till he died, he was very bitter. And I said, look, darling, one day when you get up there, you'll see that it wasn't God punishing you, and it wasn't God making things happen. I said, you'll see it differently. How do you uh, describe? God today or the divine, your understanding of that, that force of love that's there? Oh, fatherly, you know, because I still, at school we were brought up with you will go to hell if you sin and all of that, you know. And so I was, you know, even the, it's funny because I was still scared because God, I thought, oh, yeah, he, he's great and everything, but he's, you know, he's pretty stern. Um, and at some point there, I changed, and it totally changed. And um, now he's 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 fatherly, you know. He's Abba, and I can talk to him, you know, like I, I, as person to person. It's totally different. It's a the complete opposite to how I was um, as a child, brought up, you know, with the with the, the nuns and the Thing. It was all very strict and very, you know, totally opposite now. It's a really good relationship. So, mm. Rhonda, as we approach the end of our conversation, I wanted to ask you about telling us the story in Spirit Sisters. You're one of the original voices of the book, my book, my first book. I'd like to ask you about how it was for you, the experience of sharing your story, how it affected your life, if it did, and any feedback that you received from friends and family. It was good because because it gave me the chance to 
talk about that to someone who was open-minded and other people who will be open-minded would all um, read that and understand it. And I thought it was um, it was really freeing, I think, for me because it was all I was always limited as to who I could tell those things to without being laughed at or shrugged off. And and it was a really great opportunity. I was just so glad that I saw when you were asking for uh, stories in Asia um, because you were doing the book, and I thought I'm so glad. I saw that, and you know the funny thing is, one of my cousins rang me one day and she said, I was just browsing through the bookshop and I came across this book, Spirit Sisters, and she said, and I read through it, and she said, and I found you in it. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, and I said, well, bloody hell, fancy that. And, and she said, oh, I think it's so wonderful, because she didn't know a lot of that either, you know, and, um, and I said, yeah, well, it, it's good, because... She was another one who now knows and, and wasn't sceptical. That's so wonderful. I'm so mm. yeah happy that you shared that with us today. So yeah. honoured that you shared your story with me in Spirit Sisters in the book and again today. I'm so happy to have had you on the show today, Rhonda. I wonder, is there any uh, last message that you'd like to leave our audience with today before we sign off? Oh, well... Know that I'm just glad there are more people who that I've been able to talk to and share that with because in sharing it, it makes me I relive it and um, it just makes me feel accepted. I think accepted and satisfied. Yeah, it does. It just makes me feel feel good, and I'm, I'm glad to have the opportunity to to have had this today. Thank you. I really am. Thank you, Rhonda. I'm so glad that I kept the clipping out (laughs) of the magazine. And, you know, and I've had it there for ages, keeping thinking I'm going to to contact you. And then I thought to get on the computer and and look for you. So, so glad. I'm so glad you have. And I'm sure all of our audience listening today, hearing your wonderful stories, getting introduced to your family, to Winifred, to Laurel, hearing your stories. Thank you so much, Rhonda, for your time today. And thank you, Corinna, for asking me. Such a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Spirit Sisters. If you enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. And don't forget to rate and review the show. Have an experience you'd like to share with me? Get in touch at my website, carinamachado.com, or find me on Facebook at Carina Machado Author. After all, there's nothing more powerful than a story.